as we gather this morning, I'm just reminded of the things I struggled with as a young believer and as an unbeliever. I struggled with disapproval. I struggled with the thought that God is not interested in having me around unless I fulfill this exact requirement that involves some kind of perfection on levels I couldn't even begin to imagine. Then I started to realize, well, I didn't start. I suddenly was visited with the goodness of God that says to me, it's not me that's unwilling. It's you. It's, and this is what God is saying to us today. There is room at his feet. There is room in his courts. There is room before the throne room of God for the people of the earth, the entirety of the population of all the nations and all the, uh, the, po- the population of the earth that has ever lived in front in the very immediate place of his presence and so we draw near today the bible says by faith so i want to welcome you today if you're visiting with us online today or if you're in the room today and this is new to you better take off my glasses because you're all fuzzy but if you're new to us today welcome and i pray that you would experience the goodness of god I pray that you would realize that God's intention for you and for us is that we would have our very best life. And the Bible calls it abundant life. He is welcoming you today. Can, can, we, can we respond to his presence right now? Can we just say, just, just connect in right now. God, I want to drink in of the beauty of your presence. Father, thank you for the beauty of your presence today. Father, we drink in the beauty of your presence today. So wherever you are, if you're watching online or you're here in the room, just drink in the power of that peace. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said to his disciples. If there's discord in your home, pull in on the substance of peace. Pull it from the person that is the Prince of Peace. You know, we are dealing in invisible commodities. We're surrounded in invisible commodities. The, the air we breathe is not visible to the naked eye, yet it, is, it has substance, it has a construct. It is real, though it is, is, is veiled from our eyes. And we are dealing in invisible substances right now. And the Bible says that we are called to diffuse the beauty of his presence. It says in Second Corinthians, 2.14 Now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. 
For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Did you know that? You bring an atmosphere of the presence of God. You are emanating, diffusing, releasing the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And though some of us do it more than others, we are all called to do it. And we are all called to do it increasingly powerfully. It's the reason we're left on the earth. So Lord, we pray that you would teach us. Show us, Lord, how concrete are these administrations of your presence, Lord. Father, we pray that the rivers that make glad the city of God would flow seamlessly through the body of Christ. You know, as we begin to worship, I, I felt the challenge that we have so often because, you know, sometimes you come in, you got a hard, you had a hard week, you're tired, and you know, you know, you need to be here. You know, God is not only calling your faithfulness, but He wants to speak to you and He wants to engage with you. But sometimes it's just too easy to to go to a place where we can get lost in the worship of others. That's why why places where really talented musicians and churches, where they put on a great show, they draw a lot of people. But then you have this great divide between the performers and the spectators. Because we want to get lost in what others are doing and enjoy the performance, the beauty, the, the ascetic wonder of what they're bringing for us. That's not the essence of what church is about. The truth is, God wants to get lost in your sound. God wants to get lost in your acknowledgement of who he is, not only when he's reciprocating to your worship, because he does that. You know, Chuck Pierce wrote that book, Worship Going Up, you know, Glory Coming Down, about heaven on earth. And it happens when we really start to tap in and when worship starts to go up, heaven starts to respond. But sometimes the only objective, the main objective is that we would enjoy him. But we want to be giving him pleasure. He deserves our acknowledgement. And in this law of reciprocity, we are exchanging something. We are releasing something, and he is releasing in turn a presence. And that presence is going to be so intense. It's one day every knee will bow. One day, not one voice will not be able to not declare he is Lord. Such will be the administration of that glory. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There will be no choice in that day. We're not not without that option right now. I mean, we're, we're without that option right now. We're not forced to do it. 
And this is the time when we voluntarily bow the knee, realizing that the day is coming when no one will have a choice. I'm not going to wait till that day. Praise God. Thank you, team. Bless you. We're so blessed to have these guys here. Can you say yes? Amen. Thank you. I, I just want to quickly share this, and I'm going to introduce Luke. Uh, there, there, there are phases to our faith. And a lot of us in this room are at the faith where we don't get as excited as we used to. We're at the level of our faith and our journey where we don't get as excited as we used to. I was just with somebody this week, and they're adults, grown adults, they got grown kids, and, and they were saying, you know, there's nothing that excites me anymore. And uh, you might be there in your faith where you're not, you know, you come to church and it's like, ah. That means, that means you've, you've transferred into a new era. And what happens there, it's kind of like that era where you're having kids and Christmas is not, it's not as fun as it used to be. But the way that it becomes fun is to experience it vicariously through the joys and the giggles of the next generation. And uh, when, we, when we assume that role, that I'm not here anymore for myself, suddenly we find that we discover another sense of the presence of God, another, another enjoyment that comes of a different type, but it is equally fulfilling. Jesus said it this way, my food is to do the will of God. Now, my food use, our food at one point is what others bring us, but then it is now becoming what we do for those that can't do for themselves. And what it takes is it, it brings you into a different gear in your life. It's like motherhood and fatherhood. You know, you get up in the morning, you don't want to get up. But your kids are screaming, or they're at the bed and they're saying, what's for breakfast? It's like, nothing, <laughs> is what you'd like to say. But the sense of responsibility, the sense of ownership of the moment, requires that you step up. And I want to say to you, many of us today are in that, in that phase where we're moving from this realm to this realm. I want to say to you, it's not just duty. It's not just choice, chosen service. There is something. There is a, there's a beautiful sense of fulfillment in that if you press through. And so sometimes you've been coming to church lately, and I know I'm speaking prophetically to some people, and it's like, you've got you to gotta drag yourself. Well, this too shall pass. There's another catalytic Grace that God wants to bring in your life that is even more fulfilling. Furthermore, it's more stable than the ups and downs of you getting what you, what you enjoy, what you think you need. It has a stability to it that's beautiful. So I encourage you, come up over the top of that, and it may be that if more of us enter into that phase, God will give us a whole new swath of a new generation to take care of once he know that we will. Hallelujah. Anyway, so great to have Luke here today. We've been, Luke's been a friend of ours, uh, and for the last few years, we've been getting to know him as a church, him and his wife and newborn son, Arthur. 
King Arthur. Uh, they're, they're here today. But uh, Luke Hills is a husband, father, author, and prophetic voice. He is really uh, becoming an apostolic teacher in the land, prophetic teacher. He is a prolific writer. Uh, he is the leader and founder of Royal Identity Ministries. And we're glad to have him here today with his, his family. So could you welcome warmly Luke Nidergall? Bless you, Luke. Thank you so much. Man, it's great to be here. Man, can't you guys feel the presence of God today? Oh, man, I'm excited. I want to dive right in, but I know I should probably, you know, share a bit, a bit more about who I am and share about a few books that I do have out back there. So, yeah, Mark, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here in this house, and I love what you guys have cultivated and Man, why don't you guys give the worship band a hand of applause again for just leading us in. That was just amazing. But like, like Mark said, my name is Luke Niebergall, and I've had the honor for the last 15 years or so getting to travel Canada and to different parts of the world, specifically training and equipping the church on how to hear the voice of God. So that's a huge focus of what I've done, and I've gotten to function as a prophetic voice here and there. But I want to share about a few books that I, that I do have back there So this book here is called The Heart of Heaven. I doubt anyone has read this yet because I just published it a few months ago. But how many of you guys have read uh, The Final Quest by Rick Joyner? Most of you guys. So this is kind of like that. It's a a series of different encounters and visions that the Lord has given me uh, about heaven. Now this book is a lot about the heart of the Father though. So if you need a touch from the Father heart of God, I'd encourage you to pick this up. And is there anyone here where you're like primarily a seer and you know you you need a touch from the Father's heart? Yeah, right at the back there. I'm just going to give this book to you. Yeah, so why don't you come up? Sure, thank you so much. And then this book here that I wrote, it's called Pioneer. Now, I've, I've written quite a few books. I've actually written over 20 books. But this book here, Pioneer, is probably my favorite teaching book that I have. And this is all about friendship and intimacy with the Lord. All the messages that burn deepest in my heart are actually in this book. You know, things like the importance of character and uh, integrity. How many of you guys know that's important? I I have a high value for character and integrity. Uh, Things like humility, hiddenness in the Lord. So I'd encourage you to pick this up. And then this book here, I actually, several years ago, the Lord spoke to me and told me to start writing fiction to start taking my kingdom teachings and putting them in story form. So I started doing that and writing books for teenagers. So we actually have some of these books in uh, the education system here in Canada. So it's used as curriculum and stuff like that. And we have just powerful testimonies of kids reading these books, getting impacted, getting healed from dyslexia, all that fun stuff. So it's under my pen name, L.R. Knight. You guys might think there's something super prophetic behind that, but there's not. I just thought it sounded really cool. So that's why I picked it. But is there anyone here, you have a young teenager who just really loves reading? Yeah? yeah? You guys? Here, I'll give, you guys can give this to, to your teenager. Hopefully he or she will enjoy it. So why don't we pray? Actually, why don't you guys stand up for a second? Why don't you just put your hand on your heart? Jesus, we just, surrender. we just surrender ourselves to you. And God, I just, 
Right now in the spirit, God, we just break out of the mindsets of routine. God, where we think that we're just, you know, we're doing our Sunday thing and it's like it's an obligation to go to church. No. God, we step into a mentality right now that if we take this moment seriously in your presence, that we will never be the same again. And God, we step right now out of routine and into encounter. And Jesus, right now, I pray that you mark us today. I pray, God, for radical impact upon our lives, Jesus. And God, we just come before you today in the fear of the Lord, and we're just saying, God, we take this moment serious. We take this moment serious with you, Jesus, God, and we're, we're, we're expecting to encounter you. So God, I pray that you raise our faith right now in this place, in this house. And God, let us catch something today, not just for us, but for our families. And God, your presence has already been so wonderfully here today, God, and I just pray for an increase. We're not here to listen to words or teaching. We're here to encounter your heart. If it's not about that, then it's nothing. If it's not about that, then it's nothing. So God, we want you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys know that, though, if we take this moment really seriously right now, God could deposit something in, our, in us that could change our lives forever? Hey? Yeah. Yes. You know, I have, a, I have a message on my heart today for you guys, and I can feel the weight of it. And I want to start off just sharing a story. And this happened when I was 20 years old. This is when I was commissioned into ministry. So when I was 20 years old, I was at a conference in Calgary, Anyone from Calgary? We're originally from, I'm originally from there. And there's a, there's a church in Calgary called Southside Victory Church. You guys know that church? It's a great church, pastored by Craig and Ann Broker. So there's about 500 people in this conference, and I'm sitting there, and there's a man up at the front, and he's speaking. Now, this man's name, I didn't know him at the time, but his name was Charlie Robinson. Do you guys know Charlie Robinson? Actually, put your hand up if you know who Charlie is, because he's amazing. Everyone in the room, Fantastic. So Charlie is a profound prophet here in Canada, and I'm sitting there as a 20-year-old kid, and I'm watching this guy, and I can feel the atmosphere around me. It's just electric, and it's wild. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to give Charlie Robinson a prophetic word for you. And I'm sitting there as a 20-year-old. I'm thinking, yeah, right, that's not going to happen. But then the Lord speaks to me, and he says, and this is what he's going to say to you. You've been faithful with a little, so God is going to give you much because God's called you as a signpost to generations and as of today, you're being commissioned into ministry. So I'm sitting there 20 years old and I'm, I'm excited in my spirit, but I'm wrestling in my flesh. Have you had that? You guys are way more spiritually mature than me, so you guys have never had that, but I have that sometimes. So I'm toiling with this in my heart and not even two minutes goes by and Charlie Robinson stops dead in his tracks, points over at me. And he says, you, I want you to stand up. I have a prophetic word for you. And I stand up and I'm trembling because this tall prophet is pointing his finger in my face. And I'm like, what is going to happen right now? And he says this to me. And he says, you've been faithful with the little, so God is going to give you much because you've been called as a signpost to generations. And as of today, you're being commissioned into ministry. Now, the interesting thing about this is sometimes the prophetic word comes to confirm, but sometimes it comes as a catalyst to move things. 
So for me in that moment, it was wild because in the first hour of me receiving that prophetic word, I got my very first invite to speak at a church. Isn't that wild? From no one who was at that conference. So I get, I get an invite to speak at this church, and it's a small little house church. I can't even describe to you how nervous I was to speak to these 15 people. And I remember leading up to it, I'm sitting with the Lord, and I'm spending time with him, and I'm like, I'm trying to put together a message, but I have no clue how to put together a message. So, you know, I put together this, I don't know, it was a whatever message, you know? I put together this message, and I'm waiting on God. God, what do you want to say to these people? All of a sudden, this is what he does. He gives me a vision in my mind. And all that I saw was a vision of God the Father sitting on the throne. And when I looked closer, I saw that there was a heart-shaped locket around his neck. And I asked God, I said, God, what is this heart-shaped locket? And he said to me, he said, that's the nation of Israel because it's close to my heart. And he said, when you speak at this church... You're going to pray over someone because she's called as a great missionary to the nation of Israel. She's going to bring great change to the nation. And God gives me this big, long word. And no word of a lie, I'm sitting there getting more insecure because I'm like, this is the first church I am ever going to speak at. And you're talking to me about commissioning missionaries to Israel. (laughs) And I asked the Lord, I said, how in the world am I going to know who this person is? This is all that he said to me. He said, she'll be drawn to the necklace. She'll be drawn to the necklace. That's it. So the day comes, it's my time to speak at this church. And before it begins, I'm sitting on the couch and people are starting to funnel in and I'm watching this little five-year-old girl and this little five-year-old girl, she's running around and she's playing with the dog, playing with the toys and I'm just waiting for things to begin and all of a sudden the door opens and this woman walks in with her husband. Now this woman, when she walks in, she's wearing this big blinging necklace It is like the fanciest thing you've ever seen in your life. She walks in with this thing. And I watch this little five-year-old girl. She runs up to this woman and says, I love your necklace. I love your necklace. It's so beautiful. And the words rang through my head. You're going to know who she is because she'll be drawn to the necklace. And I came to the realization that this quote-unquote woman who's called to be a great missionary to Israel was actually this five-year-old girl. So when the service began, I got to call this girl up and her mom and dad, and I got to pray over her and prophesy over her, and the mom was weeping, the dad was weeping, the little girl was weeping. You know, this is actually the very first thing that I've ever done in ministry, was actually prophesy over this little girl. And I've been reflecting on this recently. Did you know that when you reflect on your history with the Lord, you can extract revelation from your history? You know, I've had the honor of getting to train different authors and Speakers and something that I teach them is, you know, when you're looking for your message and you're trying to find your revelation, don't look forward as though you're trying to catch a revelation that no one has seen before. If you want to find your message, look back into your history with the Lord. Because when you look at your history through the eyes of the the spirit of wisdom and revelation, your past and your history with the Lord becomes a parable. And you can extract revelation and then when you teach it, it actually has authority. Does that make sense? So I've been reflecting on this and the Lord's been showing me and he's like, you know, Luke, you're commissioning into ministry. It's actually all about three generations working together. You know, if you look throughout the Bible, three generations always work together. You guys remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And by commissioning, it actually required 
a man who had gone before me who actually saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and he called that forth. And in turn, I turned to a younger generation and called out something in her that she didn't see in herself. And I want to talk about this a bit today, about the God of generations, because I believe with all my heart right now that God is actually looking for Abraham's. God is looking for Abraham's who, who, who their hearts are actually going to bleed for generations who will come after them. And as I was waiting on the Lord for today, he spoke to me very clearly and he said, Luke, I want you to speak straight from your process. So I'm going to speak straight from my process because I've just been in this season, you guys, where I've, you know, we have these different seasons of life. Sometimes you're in the valley and, and, you know, you go through the inner healing and the character building and some of you guys are cringing even as I'm mentioning this. You know, but we have these seasons, but we also have these mountaintop experiences where we get to just reflect on what the Lord has done. And I'm in this remarkable mountaintop moment in my life right now where I've seen a lot of promises fulfilled, so I'm looking back at my past history, and I'm looking at how I began. And I remember when I was a you know, young kid saved at the age of 16, didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I read my Bible and looked at Mark chapter 16, and it said, to those who believe, they will lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And I remember taking that verse and being like, well, it doesn't say to those who are prophets or apostles, they'll lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It says to those who believe. That means I can do it. So I remember being, you know, 16, 17, 18, going out to the hospitals every single day by myself to pray for the sick. And guess what? I saw no one healed. (laughs) And I remember stepping out over a hundred times over a hundred times to pray for people, to see people healed, and not a single person got healed. But then guess what? It started happening. You want to hear my first, I would say, really cool healing that I saw? Not the first one, but one of the first really cool ones that just rocked me, marked me. Yeah. I remember I was leading a group of people out to the hospitals. I don't know how old I was, maybe 19, 20. We saw a woman sitting in a wheelchair We walked up to her. She had a cast on her leg, and I asked her, I said, what happened to your leg? And she was really quick to share. She said, well, I have an abusive boyfriend, and he threw me down a flight of stairs. And when he threw me down a flight of stairs, my leg broke in two different places. You know, so we prayed for her. And after I prayed for her, I said, well, can you try and do something you couldn't do before? She said, absolutely. So she steps down and places her leg on the ground, and when she does, her bones and her leg fuse back together. Like, it's cool that God can do that, hey? You know, but we kept talking with her, and we started learning about who she was. And this poor woman, you know, she was entrenched in a lifestyle of prostitution. You know, so we spent time with her, just praying with her, talking to her, hearing her story. About a week later, we come back to this hospital. And when we get there, you know, we brought her flowers and everything. We just wanted to love on her. We brought her some chocolates. And she's sitting on this bench outside of the hospital. And when she sees us, she looks like she's going to jump out of her skin. She's so excited. And I said to her, I said, why are you so excited? She said, right after you guys prayed for me, I had my annual test. Because she said, I have nine irreversible STDs because of my lifestyle and prostitution. They're incurable. But I just got the results back and I was healed from all nine. Isn't that awesome? And she said to me, she's like, if Jesus can do this for me, can he do it for my friend? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Go get your friend. She runs into the hospital, brings out her friend, wheels her friend out in this wheelchair. And this poor woman, I'll tell you, she had everything wrong with her. To start things off, 
her leg, she was a Caucasian woman, but her leg was completely red from top to bottom. She, her ankle was destroyed and in so much pain, like it was actually being held together by screws. She had severe shoulder pain for 20 years. Her hand was in the shape of a claw due to arthritis and she had a tumor sticking out of her back the size of an egg. How many of you guys know this poor woman needed an overhaul? So we got around her and prayed for her. The first thing that happened is we watched her leg go from a dark red to a pale white. We lifted her out of her wheelchair. She started walking with us, and when she did, her ankle was healed to the point where the the metal had actually melted out of her body. As I was walking with her, she started screaming and crying. She said, for the first time in 20 years, my shoulder doesn't hurt. She lets go of my hand and runs over to my friend. Keep in mind, she was in a wheelchair a few minutes ago. Now she's running to my friend, and when she wraps her arms around him and gives him a hug, her hand that was in the shape of a claw due to arthritis completely stretched out. And then she said, run your hand down my back. I need to see if the tumor's gone. We ran her hand down her back, and as we did, the tumor completely disintegrated. Come on, on, can't Jesus do it? Okay, now I... I share this for a reason. I'm not just sharing a story like this to get your faith high. I'm sharing it for a reason. You know, I've been reflecting over my beginning years with the Lord, and I remember the toiling and the trying and the persevering where it's like, I prayed for 50 people and no one got healed. What am I gonna do? And I remember those times. Me and my wife, Sophie, we've been in this profound season where the Lord has actually surrounded us with a lot of young people. And we've been walking with them and journeying with them, and we're actually seeing that they don't need to pray for 100 people to see anyone healed. They pray for like two or three, and then people start getting healed. You know, I won't get into my history of of the prophetic, of how I learned to hear the voice of God. I'll do that another day with you guys sometime, maybe. But I remember the difficulty of what it was like of learning to prophesy and hear God's voice. But these guys, they pick up on it so quick. And what I've actually been learning as I've been reflecting over my history is that as I enrich my history with the Lord simultaneously, I enrich the spiritual inheritance that I leave behind for those who will come after me. And I've been thinking about Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus goes out and he appoints disciples and he says to them, follow me, and guess what they do? They drop everything that they do and they follow them. Sometimes we forget, you guys, that the disciples actually paid a cost to follow Jesus. Peter had a successful fishing business, and he was like, I'll lay down my income to follow you. You know what that means? That means that Jesus had cultivated something in his life that was worth following. And something that's happening right now, you guys, in the body of Christ is God is actually breaking off a narcissistic mentality over the church. Because so so many of us in the church, you guys, we have this mentality where it's like, I have this obstacle in front of me, I have this trial, I have this season of training and equipping, I have this time of character building that I need to go through, but I can actually choose to camp out because it only affects me. Guess what? It doesn't just affect you. It actually robs people who are are coming after you. It robs them of their inheritance. And there's actually generations who are actually waiting for us to persevere so they have something to look to. They're looking for signposts. And it's like we, we wrestle with these thoughts. It's like, why would I persevere right now? It's like you're called to have a healing ministry. Why would I pray over people over and over and over again and not see people healed until I do? 
Why would I work through this anxiety or depression or the stuff I'm working through in my heart? My yes today surely can't mean that much. Maybe it's not just about your yes today. Maybe it's about your daily yes so that in 10 or 15 years you will have cultivated something in your life that's worth following. Are you feeling this? You know, I love how Holy Spirit moves because, you know, sometimes you speak and you do the stuff and it's electric and wild and people are getting prophetic words, but sometimes it's like the spirit of the fear of the Lord just falls. And it's like in the quietness of God, we get to encounter him. We get to encounter his heart. And it's in those places where he comes in and he might not be healing broken bodies, but he's healing broken hearts and he's realigning us and readjusting us. It's good. And I'm going to tell you guys something. There's a really unique Bible verse that God is prophesying prophetically over the body of Christ right now. And it seems like a really obscure Bible verse, but it's, I find it very profound. It's Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. And it talks about how a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And I like this verse because it speaks to three generations. So a good man, one generation, leaves an inheritance for his children's Two generation, children's, three generations. And what God wants to do is he wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. You know, Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. But God needs to expand our faith because for some of us, we only have vision for the next three months. When God is calling us to have vision for the next three generations. Do you guys mind if I walk you through scripture a little bit with something that the Lord showed me? That's why I'm here. I like it. How many of you guys remember Elijah from the Bible? I I love Elijah. So if we look in 1 Kings chapter 17, you know, we see the stage of Elijah's life where he prophesied that the drought would come in Israel. It wouldn't rain for three years. And Israel's just in turmoil to the point where where, where Elijah actually has to go into hiding. And he hides in different places, but one of the places where he goes into hiding is he lives with a widow and her son. You remember this? So he lives with this widow and the son. And Elijah has a very unique relationship with this son. And one of the things that actually happens is this son actually dies, and Elijah raises him from the dead. Remember this? Really interesting. So often, you guys, when we read scripture, we need to actually view these leaders as people. We need to view these people, we need to view these, we need to view them as people. Elijah was just a man, Moses was just a man. And how many of you guys know this, when you work a job that you hate, God's trying to do something in your heart to train you for what you will do. It's the same with these guys. Elijah's in this season of hiding, and here God has him living with a widow and an orphan. Now, what was Elijah's training in this? I believe that God had Elijah spending so much time with this boy because God was actually trying to shape a heart of a father inside of Elijah so that he could effectively one day walk with Elisha. How many of you guys know this is important because one of the worst things you can ever have is someone who has the responsibility of a father but doesn't have the heart of a father? So we fast forward a little bit to 1 Kings chapter 19. And this is where we see Elijah's big feats. He calls fire down from heaven to consume the altar. He slays the 400 false prophets. He's chased out by Jezebel. And we see Elijah, he's sitting under the broom tree and then we see him in the cave and he starts praying these really wild prayers. 
And he's like, God, I'm the only one. There's no one left. I don't know what to do. There's no other prophets. And he starts saying, you know, take me now. Like, he's he's praying all these wild prayers. And because Elijah prayed these prayers, we've kind of branded him as the Lone Ranger prophet. You know, I'm the only one. Every other prophet's gone. I'm the only prophet who stands. So God does something, and he says, well, one thing that I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you go and appoint Elisha. He'll be your successor. Now, this is interesting to me because Elijah starts walking with Elisha, and these two become inseparable. So I'll pause here for a little rabbit trail revelation. I find it very fascinating that Elijah was stuck in a state of depression and how God moved him out of a state of depression was God gave him a friend. God brought him into community. God brought him into family. I find that very remarkable. Now, it comes to the point where it's known amongst the prophets of Israel that Elijah's time is done on earth. And Elijah is going to ascend into heaven. So Elijah and Elisha, they're sitting together. And Elijah says to Elisha, this is me paraphrasing, if you could ask me for one thing, what would you ask of me? And Elisha says, I would want a double portion of your spirit. Elijah says, you have asked me for a difficult thing, but if you see me when I ascend, you'll get it. So the big moment comes. Elisha's eyes need to be on Elijah. The big moment comes in 2 Kings chapter 2. And we see here, Elijah and Elisha are together and a fiery chariot comes down from heaven and divides them. And Elijah gets sucked up in this whirlwind. And Elisha keeps his eyes on Elijah and Elisha says something. And it is so, do you remember what it was? So profound. What did he say? My father, my father. Now this is important, you guys, because Elisha didn't say my teacher, my teacher. Because Elijah wasn't supposed to just leave behind teachings. He didn't say, my mentor, my mentor, because Elijah was just supposed to leave behind lessons. He said, my father, my father, because Elijah was supposed to leave behind an inheritance. And these words, my father, my father, it actually shows us that Elijah, the Lone Ranger prophet, actually passed the test of family. And because he passed the test of family, of considering generations who would come after him, it gave him authority to actually leave something behind for those who would come after him. You feel that? Let's camp here just for one moment. You know, you guys, in Canada right now, I believe we're living in a time where God wants to upgrade us in the prophetic. Do you believe that? I believe we've camped out in basic prophetic for quite a while. I think God wants to move us into greater things. You know one key about multiplication in the prophetic? It's right out of scripture, which is why I love it. There's only two times in the entire Bible where we can see the prophetic ministry multiplied. Did you know that? The first time is in 1 Kings chapter 2 when we see Elijah's mantle pass on to Elisha. There was a multiplication of the prophetic ministry. You know where else it was? 1 Samuel chapter 10. King, the emerging King Saul gets around the concession of prophets, and he was not a prophet. He couldn't prophesy, but he gets around prophetic community, and then guess what happens? He can prophesy. Prophetic people have been isolated for way too long. What we don't realize is that it's actually limited the expression of the prophetic ministry. And we're shifting from a place of just moving in prophetic gift to moving into prophetic community. You believe that? Okay. Let's keep moving on with the story then. So if Elijah was supposed to raise up Elisha, who was Elisha supposed to father? You guys remember a guy named Gehazi? So Elisha was Elijah's servant. Gehazi was Elisha's servant. 
Now, I believe that if Elisha carried a double portion of what Elijah carried, Gehazi was probably supposed to carry a double portion of what Elisha carried. But he didn't. Gehazi didn't perform any miracles. He didn't raise anyone from the dead. All they did was shared stories about what Elisha did. Now, why is this? With Elijah, we can see the heart of a father. With Elisha, we can't. And we can actually see in Scripture the hardness of heart that Elisha actually walked in with younger generations. First place we can see it is in 2 Kings chapter 2. Remember Elisha, this is, this is shortly after he received the double portion. Shortly after he received the mantle. So Elisha is going about doing his business and these youth start mocking him. You remember what they called him? A bald head. First of all, really lame insult. They really needed to up their game. But Elisha gets so offended, and scripture is so intentional with what it says. It doesn't say that men called him a bald head. It says youth. So what does Elisha do? He curses them. And two bears come down, and they maul 42 youth. Like, that, that's crazy to me. If there's anything far away from a true father's heart, it's calling two bears to come maul someone. Like, that, that's pretty far away from a father's heart. Where else can we see his hardness of heart? We can see it in 2 Kings chapter 5. Elisha is with Gehazi, and Gehazi steals things that weren't rightfully his possessions. And instead of Elisha coming to him and correcting him in a gentle way and walking him through this character thing so he can actually train and equip him, what does Elisha do? He curses him. And he receives leprosy. He lacked a father's heart for those who came after him. And this story... With this lesson, it concludes in 2 Kings chapter 13. And this is mind-blowing to me. So at this point, Elisha had died, and his bones were in this tomb. And there's another man who dies, and these people are carrying this dead man's body, and they throw this man's body on Elisha's bones, and he springs back to life. Remember that? See, when I was younger, I used to look at this through a very different lens. I used to look at it only through the lens of power. And I would think to myself, man, Elisha was so anointed that he was still raising the dead after he was dead. I was like, that's what I want. Now that I'm a little bit older, I don't just look at it through the lens of power. I look at it through the lens of legacy. See, when Elijah's time was done and he went to heaven, what he carried, his anointing was passed on to the younger generation. It was multiplied. When Elisha died, his anointing died with him. When Elisha died, his anointing died with him. And there was a disconnect. We should have seen the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We should have seen the God of Elijah, Elisha, and Gehazi, but there was a disconnect in the generations. Why? Because one man had a hard heart. Can I be really real with you? You know, I want to just share something, but it's, we'll see how vulnerable I got with it. I remember when I was 20 years old, I was living in Ottawa at the time, and I was, you know, going through this very deep inner healing season where the Lord was doing so much good work in my heart. You know those seasons where it's like, he's, he's just going so deep it hurts? Those are good seasons. They don't feel good, but they're good seasons. 
So I'm going through this season, and I was, in, I was plugged in at a local church up there, and I was walking to the church, and as I'm walking to the church, the Lord speaks to me, and he says to me, he said, I'm going to give you a mantle from the associate pastor's life today. And I'm thinking to this man, and in my flesh and in my youngness, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I want his prophetic mantle, because this guy's super prophetic. I'm like, that's the one I want. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, no. He said, what you're receiving from his life is actually a mantle to be a father to the fatherless. And I got to the church late, so worship's already going. The only seat available is up at the front next to the associate pastor. His name is Jim Redner. He's an amazing man of God. So I go and I sit up at the front. I didn't even have enough time to say two words to him, let alone to tell him what God told me. I sit next to him and he looks down at me and he smiles at me and he's wearing this blue blazer and he takes off this blue blazer and comes around me and wraps it around my shoulders. Isn't it cool when God sends a sign to confirm his word, hey? So in my spirit, I'm like, I just caught something really good. I was like, I could feel it. I was like trembling under God's anointing. But in my flesh, I was wrestling with a question. Again, you guys are more spiritually mature than me, so you guys don't ever wrestle with that, but I wrestle with that. So in the spirit, I was excited. In my flesh, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, this is great, but who in the world wants to be fathered by a 20-year-old? That's what I'm thinking to myself, and I'm trying to rationally think about it. I'm like, maybe I can start like serving in the nursery. I can be like a father figure to the babies, maybe. You know, like, we'll see. I don't know. But a few weeks go by, and... I forgot about the whole experience. And then from the age of 20 to 30, you know, I was commissioned into ministry at the age of 20 and I traveled and I spoke and was used as a prophetic voice for 10 years. And I'm, I'm so thankful that the Lord chose me when I was young, but you go through very unique obstacles when you're chosen and when you're young. And 20 is, you know, now that we walk with a lot of 20-year-olds, I see how young 20 is to be commissioned to be training and equipping the church. And I've been reflecting over these 10 years of, you know, functioning from 20 to 30 and, you know, stuff just happens to you. I remember the relational hurdles that me and Sophie had to go through because when you're a young adult, you should be building community and learning how to be social with people. But, you know, we would just get used right, left and center by people trying to befriend us for our connections or for gifting. I remember at at the age of 22, I wrote and published my first book called Reigning as Royalty. Don't read it. It's not that good. I was, <laughs> I was 22 when I wrote it. Don't pick it up. You won't get your $20 back. <laughs> but I remember when I wrote that first book, and I was so excited about it. I was like, this book, I have my heart in this book. And I remember men around me who should have become fathers actually became my critics. You know, and it's like you, you just go through the stuff. And when you're, any leader in the room would know this. When you're in leadership long enough, you just get hit again and again and again and again. And you've got to guard your heart like nothing else. Otherwise, your heart gets hard. And I remember when I was 28 years old, me and Sophie were driving somewhere. I don't remember where we were driving to, but I just, I, we were just having an honest conversation. And I said to her, I was like, you know, I've been in ministry now for eight years and I, I would have assumed that my heart would have gotten softer, softer towards people. But my heart feels really hard towards people. 
And I was like, I can move in my gifting. I can prophesy and read someone's mail, but I, I don't feel that love that I should actually feel. And I was like, my heart just feels so hard. And it's crazy how bitterness can just creep up on you, hey? Offense can just creep up on you, and we think we're just overlooking something, but no, our, our heart gets calloused. And when I was 30 years old, I'm speaking at a conference. There's a group of speakers, and there's one man there. He was a very fatherly man in his 60s. We're sitting down together and we're just chatting and, you know, as speakers do when you speak together. And he asked me, he says, well, Luke, what do you do? So I gave him the spiel. I'm a prophetic speaker. I, I travel and speak. I've written, written a bunch of books and do my stuff. And, you know, I thought he'd be impressed, but he wasn't at all. And then he said this to me. He said, Luke, he said, it's great that you're a prophetic voice, but what if you can be something greater? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, what if you could be a father to those who come after you? You know what he said to me before that? He's like, I think you should completely restructure your ministry. (laughs) And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I have, everyone has an ego, I don't think I have too much of an ego, but that little ego that was there stood straight up and I was like, listen. (laughs) But I listened to him and he said, no, what if you can be a father to those who will come after you? And it was so interesting because he spoke forth this message of wisdom that I didn't even know he was speaking and it started chipping away at this hardness of heart, these protective walls that were around me. And what it was doing was it was actually mining out a mantle that had been buried since I was 20 years old. And I remember over the span of the next two years, the Lord's just trying to dig this thing right out of me and I had this crazy dream. You guys believe that God speaks through dreams? Job 33, verses 15 and 16. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men and they slumber upon their beds, God opens the ears of men and he seals their instruction. We ought to open our ears in the night season. I had this dream. In this dream, I'm in this field and I'm building with my hands and I'm building these structures. And I knew I was building my ministry in the dream. And I was just tenacious. I'm sweating. I'm putting my whole heart into it. And all of a sudden, the Lord shouts in the dream. He rarely shouts at me. He only shouts at me when I'm not listening. He shouts at me and he says, look back. And I looked back. And when I looked back, I saw mounds of young people, the masses of younger generations. And they're weeping and they're wailing And I was astounded. I was like, how did I not hear them before? I was just so focused on what I was doing. They're weeping and wailing. And the father said, do you know what they're crying out for? I said, I have no clue. And he said, they're crying out for fathers and mothers. He said, they're crying out for fathers and mothers. But he said, so many people are so focused on building their own ministry that they forget about building their legacy. And we forget that it was Jesus' ability to see potential in 12 broken men that resulted in disciples becoming apostles. And God wants to shift us and he wants to realign us. And we've been in this season, me and Sophia, where God's just adjusting our hearts and adjusting our priorities and I could share a lot of stories with you about that, but I remember last year leading up to Father's Day, you know, I had had this massive opportunity that popped up. 
where I was going to get to go to this conference in the States and everyone was congregating there. Every who's who in the charismatic zoo was there. You know, I would have gotten to meet all these big speakers, people who I've looked up to for years. And I, it was right on Father's Day and Arthur wasn't born yet. So I, I was like, I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and receive. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, what about some of your spiritual sons and daughters? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He said, some of them don't have dads. He was like, will, will you sacrifice an opportunity for your ministry and actually be there for them and take care of their hearts because your legacy is actually a lot more important? How do you not, right? But guys, we're in this place in the body of Christ right now where there's a graduation that's taking place where it's like ministry is good, legacy is better. Ministry is good, legacy is better. There's a graduation, there's an opportunity, you guys. It's about more than us, it's about more than what we can build with our hands. Your perseverance is about more than just now, more than just this season. We gotta shift, we gotta graduate, we need bigger faith. I'll share one last story with you, Bible story. Genesis chapter 19. I believe that this is a very prophetic story right now for our times, and I believe, it's a, I believe that it's a warning story for the body of Christ right now. So in this story, God is gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin and the corruption, and there was a man named Lot. You guys remember Lot? Lot had found favor with God. Lot had found favor with God so God speaks to him and says, you can leave Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, I'll spare your family, your wife, and your kids, but there was a prerequisite, you remember? When you leave, do not look back at the destruction that's taking place. So Lot takes his wife, takes his kids, they leave Sodom and Gomorrah, and as they're running away, Lot's wife disobeys the Lord. She looks back at the, at the destruction that's taking place. You remember what happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt. Now, the Bible is very specific on why it says the things that it says. And this draws a remarkable, it's a remarkable prophetic symbol for us. So she turned into a pillar of salt. So it's not enough to know that. Why did she turn into a pillar of salt? So if we look at salt, the primary purpose of salt is actually not to make our food taste good. Did you know that? As tasty as it is. The primary purpose of salt is actually to preserve food. Now, why is this important? Lot's wife is leaving. She's fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, but in her heart, she looks back and she was walking in a preservation mentality, trying to preserve a past season when God was calling her to go out and discover new lands. And guys, this is where we're at right now. There's a graduation in the body of Christ and God is saying we can move forwards, we can shift from ministry to legacy, but we need to lay, leave behind preservation mentalities trying to preserve past seasons because there's new lands for us to possess in the kingdom. You believe that? Man, we feel so honored to get to walk with all the young adults that we do and we drill it into them. It's like you might only be 20 years old but be thinking about the generations that aren't even born yet. Live your life for those who haven't even been born yet. Do you feel this? Yeah? You feel the Lord doing something? You feel a weight landing on you right now? 
I know this isn't a light and fluffy word, but I know that it's straight from the heart of God. And I want to spend some time just praying over some of you. And I want to pray for two groups of people right now. The first group is this. If you feel like your heart has gotten hard, if you feel like bitterness has caught up to you, offense has caught up to you, the hope deferred has caught up to you, and it's like my heart just feels hard, I want to pray over you right now because God wants to give you a heart of flesh right now. So I was vulnerable with you and I shared that with you. And I'll be real, I don't like, Scripture says to boast in our weaknesses, but I wouldn't say that I love doing it from a stage. But I do it anyways when God tells me to. So if I can be vulnerable, then so can you. So if you recognize with yourself, it's like my heart has gotten so hard with hope deferred. I haven't seen my breakthrough. I can't even think about younger generations or those who come after me because I just haven't gotten my own breakthrough. If you have that hardness of heart, I want you to just stand to your feet right now. There is no shame at all in this, by the way, whatsoever. We're doing this right now so that as family, we can all just stand together and believe for a breakthrough. That's what this is. Now I want you to do this. I want you to put your hand on your heart. And for those of you who are still sitting, why don't you stretch your hands towards those who are standing? And let's believe with each other. So God, right now in this place, right now in this place, just as a child is laughing right now, let childlikeness come back into hearts. Let childlikeness come back into hearts right now. God, we lay down bitterness at the foot of the cross. We lay down offense. We lay down our pains, our discouragements, our disappointments. God, we lay it down at the foot of the cross. We lay down hard hearts. And God, we say, make us new. Make us new. Make us new. And Father, where there's wounds of disappointment and rejection and hope deferred, and God, right now, I pray that you come in and you begin to just minister to hearts in Jesus' name right now. And I feel to do this, this just dropped on me. You know, sometimes we can cast aside hardness of heart, but sometimes a trauma takes shape. And right now, in Jesus' name, we declare that trauma is broken off of lives right now in Jesus' name. Trauma is broken right now in Jesus' name. God, your word that it comes down like a hammer that dashes rocks into pieces. Like in the book of Jeremiah, Lord God, that it comes down right now and breaks trauma. Trauma from rejection, trauma from abuse. Trauma from abandonment, trauma from hope deferred, trauma from neglect, it is broken off right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I just declare over you perseverance. I declare over you hope. I declare over you steadfastness. 
I declare over you a faith to be able to look past what you're going through to those who are around you. Jesus. Jesus. Now I want to do this. If you're in the room right now and you can feel it stirring in your heart, it's like I want to pick up a mentality of legacy. I want to pick up a mentality of legacy. You know, ministry is good, but legacy is better. I want to pick up a mentality of legacy. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. And I say this with a cautiousness in my heart because I believe in the fear of the Lord. I believe that we're held accountable for what we receive. So if you don't want this, then don't stand. But if you want it, then make sure you stand. And I want to pray over you right now, but I want you to be able to catch what God is depositing right now because there's something on this. I can feel it. So if you receiving requires for you to just be where you are, that's totally fine. If you need to come up to the front to receive that's fine too. If you need to linger at the back, that's fine too. I just want you to receive as you need to receive. Jesus, right now. Yeah, some of you guys are actually feeling a stir from Holy Spirit where you need to be up at the front to receive. If that's you, then come up to the front. If it's not, don't worry about it. God, let's start off with this. God, we repent for the times when we haven't considered those who have come after us. And God, we repent for the times when you've tried to shape within us the heart of a father or a heart of a mother, but God, we've been unwilling to pick it up. We repent for those times. We repent for times, God, when we were so focused on building our own thing that we didn't consider those around us. Right now, in Jesus' name, God, we receive the marking for legacy in this room. And God, we pray in Jesus' name for a radical encounter with you, God, as the God of generations. The God of generations. And God, we pray for families right now. God, we pray for healing, deliverance, and salvation. We pray for communities. I can just see it in the spirit. I just see like, it's almost like mantles just falling upon people for fathering and mothering. God, right now in Jesus' name, I pray for steadfastness to persevere in their seasons. And God, if there is any, and I I pray this for myself too, if there's any layers of, of narcissism in our hearts or in our minds, God, where we only think of ourselves, God, we just lay that down at the foot of the foot of the cross right now. 
And Jesus, we just pray for a a willingness to persevere. God, a boldness through Christ to persevere, Jesus, to move forwards no matter what's in front of us, God, whether it's sickness and disease, whether it's poverty, whether it's wounds of the heart, anxiety, depression, self-hatred, whatever it is, God, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep persevering. God, it doesn't matter if it's seasons of training and equipping or character building or whatever, God, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep persevering. We're going to move forwards, Jesus. God, because you've called us for legacy. You've called us for legacy. You've called us to leave a mark, Jesus. So God, I just release this right now in Jesus' name. I even feel right now, you guys, just start praying. Just start praying. God's going to give you very specific things that he's going to speak to your heart for you to pray into about about the mark that you're called to leave, the people you're called to be impacting, the people who you're called to walk with, the people who you're called to leave an inheritance behind to. Just pray. Just pray. Just pray. Don't be passive. Don't be passive in your prayer. Don't be passive in your prayer. Don't be passive. For some of you, this is the first time you're standing up. Don't be passive. Jesus, we say yes. Jesus, we say yes. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes. yes. God, we shift into the graduation. God, we shift into the graduation. God, we move forward into a legacy mentality, a longevity mentality. God, we will know you as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We will know you as the God of generations. There won't be a stop between generations. It's not going to happen, God, because we give you our full yes. We give you our full yes, Jesus. And right now, you guys, in this moment of just intercession and prayer, I feel like we just need to pray for younger generations, some, of, some who haven't even been born yet. God, we bless them. We bless them. We bless them, God, that they won't live as orphans, but that they'll know that they're sons and daughters of God. They'll know what a boy is and they'll know what a girl is. They won't be confused in their identity. They won't be confused in their gender because God the Father is speaking down and telling them who they are. God, raise up radical generations. Raise up the wild young ones, Jesus. Raise up the wild young ones, Jesus. God, we surrender our shoulders for them to stand upon, to go to greater heights, to see more people saved, healed, delivered. We bless youth. We bless the children. God, pour over them. We pray for encounters. Raise up prophets. Raise up apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Raise up worship leaders, intercessors, business leaders, government leaders. Lord, raise them up. Raise them up, raise them up, raise them up, raise them up. Raise them up. Raise them up. Pray out. Jesus. 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 We prophesy your name over the generations. We prophesy your name. We prophesy the blood of Jesus over the generations. Raise them up, God. Stay in your moment. Stay in your moment. God's stirring something up. For some of you guys, you're you're in a moment of intercession. Stay in that place. For some of you guys, the Lord's doing a personal marking. Stay in that place. Just be sensitive to what he's doing in and through you right now.
Yeah. Engage with his heart. Engage with what he's doing in the room. Father, let a groan. Let the groan. Let the groan that Paul talked about reach its fullness. In Jesus' name, Father, we want to become what you said we would be. So let the husk break. Let new life come forth. Let it push aside the debris. And emerge from a hidden place. I believe God has planted something today. You know, we never talked about this before the service. So if you go right back to the beginning and you remember the exhortation I gave, I didn't know that this was the word that he had. But I talked about the transition to become one who makes a way for the next generation. And it stops being about you. We've got to stop thinking about, God, what are you going to do for me today if I come to church? <laughs> there comes a time, and I remember Kim Wheeler's testimony when he was the Lord told him to attend a church in Kelowna, and he said to the Lord, Lord, what's, what am, what's that church going to do for me? And the Lord immediately said to you, who told you that they were called to do something for you? There comes a time when you exist to do something for others. Now, God does something for you, but it's through becoming that thing to others. Your children's children's children. And God forbid that we would die with a great reputation of being powerful, and yet the anointing of our lives is stuck in our bones. Now, for those of you that have been around here, this is not a new message. We've heard this many times. Gideon Chu was the first one to bring that message. And he talked about the significance of Elisha suddenly or finally realizing that Elijah wasn't just a prophet, that he was a father. That that's when he got the inheritance. It was when he, real, he, he couldn't see. He was looking at the gifting. He was looking at the power. He was looking. When he saw he was a father... Then he got something. Father, raise up mothers and fathers. Where does it start? Where does it start? Starts with that mindset that you come to church, not, I hope the band is on today. But the breakthrough is on your shoulders. When you go into a prayer meeting, the breakthrough is on your shoulders. When you go 
to somebody's house and the need to create comfort so others feel comfortable is not on the host only, but it's on you because you're just aware that people need love. People need affirmation. People need comfort. People need your voice. People need not your criticism, but your, your endorsement. Mothers and fathers are ones who look past your present weakness and they say, this too shall pass. So Father, make us what you know we could be. I believe God is looking. He's desperate to put orphans in families. Desperately looking. It's true in the natural and it's true in the spiritual. The world is filled with orphans looking for families. So let's look past our nuclear family. Let's look past our offspring. And let's take in the orphans. Take them into your heart. Take them into your home. Take them into your family. Lord, we receive this word, not as a word of judgment, not as a word of criticism, but as an edifying word. Lord, give us a new heart. And everybody said... Hallelujah. Thanks, Luke, Sophie, and Arthur for being with us today. Hallelujah. We'll bless you. We'll see you soon.